0: Good? Okay. Well, good morning. Thank you for joining me as we gather to worship the Lord together and to hear from his word. I hope you've been surviving the heat wave. I know I've been very thankful for our air conditioner unit in our home and uh, so thankful for that. Uh, I know that uh, we're praying for rain as well, and so we're looking forward to some showers to come to uh, water the, the gardens and the crops, and uh, we're praying for that, but we're thankful for the sun, and we will be thankful for the rain. I hope you're doing well in your home uh, as we continue to go through uh, this, this time of, of uh, restrictions and not being able to see each other regularly. I just hope that you are uh, doing well and staying connected with the Lord, most importantly. Couple of announcements as we begin this morning. Uh, Just a reminder for your tithes and offerings that you can mail a check payable to the Clarney Mennonite Church to box 969, Clarney Manitoba, R0K1G0. Or you can drop off your check in person here uh, in the church foyer is an offering box located here for you as well. Now, next Sunday is going to be a special Sunday. We are conducting a baptism service outside. Uh, during our drive-in service, and so at the outset, I want to uh, uh, draw to your attention a change of time. We're going to start a little bit sooner at 10 a.m., 10 o'clock a.m., Sunday, June 13th, uh, here in the church parking lot for baptism service, and uh, yeah, that's going to start at 10 a.m. rather than at 10.30. Now, uh, we are hoping as well to be able to provide A video recording of the service outdoors for those who are not able to attend in person. And so we are preparing to baptize Alyssa Peters and Lee Friesen. Now uh, I'll just share again what I shared last week for those of you who may not be familiar with Lee Friesen. uh, This is the son of Art Friesen and he's recently moved back to Clarney. And Lee contacted me a couple of weeks ago and shared with me how a few years ago he's rededicated his life to the Lord and the Lord had really been laying on his heart a desire to be baptized. And so he remembered me from years ago when he attended our church's youth group as a teenager. And so he thought of me and he reached out and asked if I would baptize him. And so we've been doing catechism together over FaceTime and I've been enjoying our discussions, getting to know him and discipling him And so uh, Lee is preparing to be baptized on June 13th along with Alyssa. Uh, Also uh, to bring to your attention as membership that Adam Bryce has requested to become a member of our church. And so we will be welcoming him into church membership on Sunday, June the 20th. And so take note of that as well. I would now invite you to bow with me and let's unite our hearts in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the sunshine. Uh, We thank you for small blessings like air conditioners and sprinklers. Uh, But we thank you as well, Lord, for your promise of rain. And so we ask for that. We ask for your your showers to come to to water the ground and to uh, uh, grow the crops and grow our gardens. And we know that you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. And so we thank you in advance, Lord, for how you will send rain uh, to water our ground. We thank you, Lord, as well, that you are uh, continuing to minister to our hearts uh, by your spirit, Lord, as we uh, continue through these times of restrictions where we're not able to be in fellowship with each other the way we normally would be. And so we thank you that you are encouraging us as we, as we call out to you, continue to encourage our hearts, strengthen us, Lord, in these times. And we pray in advance, Lord, for uh, the day when we'll be able to reunite in fellowship, uh, once more we look forward to that day and we pray that you would that you would speed its return and that lord in the meantime we ask that you would uh, bring an end to uh covid in our province and and we pray father that that this would come uh in a as quick a manner as possible and so we ask lord undertaken this way uh continue to be with those in our health care system all those who are struggling lord with illness and we pray that you would be with them strengthen them and bring healing according to your will Lord, we pray uh, for our camp ministries, our summer ministries, our VBS programs, Lord, who are even now not certain what it will look like in the weeks to come. And so undertake for them, and we pray, Lord, that you would provide a way for them to continue that important ministry and that boys and girls can hear the gospel and, and be changed and transformed by your love. And so we ask for that mercy as well. And so, Lord, we pray uh, again for Alyssa and for Lee as they prepare for baptism next week. We pray especially, Lord, as they prepare to share their testimonies. Would you be near to them and just give them the words to share? um, uh, Help ease any nervousness or anxiety they might feel and let there just be anticipation and excitement about being baptized in your name. And so showing the world that they are your disciple and following you. And so we ask that you would bless them, Lord. We thank you as well for Adam and his desire to join our church membership. Bless him as well as he prepares to share his testimony in a couple of weeks' time and as we welcome him into membership. So bless him as well. And Lavinia and their family, uh, we pray as well. And so, Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to gather to hear your word. We bless your name, we worship you, and we pray that you would be honored and glorified by our time together. And so we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I would invite you now to take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 11, and there I will read verses 13 to 24. Romans 11, beginning in verse 13. I am talking to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy, and so save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world... What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? So far, the reading of God's Word. Would you bow with me once more? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. Thank you that it is living and active. And we pray, Lord, as we continue to look into this mystery of your work through the ages, especially as it focuses on the, the Jewish nation, on Israel. And Lord, as we've just heard how they were, were cut off, broken off because of unbelief, so that the Gentile nation, all non-Jewish people, Could therefore be grafted in and yet lord in your in your great providence and your plan you have a plan to graft israel back in once more and that lord we should be so humbled to be honored to be grafted into your tree of faith and so father i pray that as we hear these words as we dive into them that you would open them to our minds to our hearts and most importantly lord that we could receive them and apply them to our lives as you will speak through me your servant i pray in jesus name amen Now today we are continuing on in Romans part 26, breaking off and grafting in. Here in Romans chapter 11 and verses 13 to 24, we see this theme of grafting. Now the fable is told that there was once an ugly briar growing in a ditch, and a gardener came along with his spade and dug up the briar. He dug around it and gently lifted it up out of the ground, bringing the briar to ask itself, What is he doing? Doesn't he know that I'm but a worthless briar? But the gardener took it and placed it in his garden anyways. In fact, he planted it amongst his most prized and beautiful roses, prompting the briar to think to himself once more, What is he doing? What a mistake he's made. Here I am, a humble briar amongst such beautiful roses. But the gardener then proceeded to do an even more unusual thing. He came once more and made a slit in the briar with his knife. He then grafted in a branch from a rose bush. And so when the summer came to a close, there were the most beautiful roses blooming from the briar. One day the gardener stopped by to admire his now flowering briar. He then spoke to it gently and said, Your beauty is not due to what came out of you, but due to what I have put into you. And so it is with us and God. Our beauty is not due to what has come out of us, but rather to what God has put into us. For you see, we in our sinful selves have nothing worthy or beautiful to bring, but when God in his grace grafts into our lives Christ's life, then our lives are made brand new and we can now produce beautiful fruit for God and for his glory. As Jesus said in John 15, verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And now, today, in our text in Romans 11, the Apostle Paul uses a very similar analogy to the one that Jesus used of the vine and the branches. And this time, this gardening analogy is one of an olive tree where a gardener cuts off and grafts in the branches. Now, first we must ask what is the significance of the olive tree? Well, the olive tree was and remains to this very day one of the most valuable trees in Israel. The olives were one of Israel's biggest exports. Uh, to neighboring countries, and and they made uh, a great deal of money from the olive trade. And even to this very day in modern-day Israel, olives remain in high demand. Now, the very first mention of the olive tree in the Bible is after the great flood of Noah. When the dove returned to Noah's ark, the, the, the Bible records that the dove carried an olive branch in its beak. Now, this olive branch let Noah know that it was now safe to leave the ark. The water had receded sufficiently. And so, consider that whatever else was destroyed in the great flood, the olive tree somehow managed to not only survive, but to be able to regrow its branches uh, sufficiently after the water had receded from the earth, enough that the dove could pick one one of its branches and bring it back in its mouth. Now this speaks to the hardiness and the resiliency and the durability of the olive tree. In fact, the olive tree is notoriously very difficult to kill. There have been many instances where the tree was in fact cut down and even burned, but its roots underground kept on growing, and from that same root system, a new tree would grow up in place of the old. Now, in Israel, just to the south of Jerusalem's old city walls, stands the Mount of Olives just across the Kidron Valley. And at its base, in the Kidron Valley, lies the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, the Garden of Gethsemane is, of course, where Jesus famously spent his last night where he prayed just prior to being betrayed by Judas and arrested. Now, when my wife Leanne and I toured Israel, we got to visit that very same Garden of Gethsemane. And within it grow some of the oldest and gnarliest looking olive trees in all of Israel. Now, no one knows exactly for certain, but the olive trees growing there are well over 1,000 years old, and their root systems have been proven to be well over 2,000 years old. And this means that the very same roots that, that were there when Jesus was in the garden praying in agony, they are the same roots that are, that are there to this very day, and they are still growing and producing fruit some 2,000 years later. And this speaks to the longevity and the fruitfulness of the olive tree throughout the ages. However, in order for the olive tree to produce good quality fruit, the olive trees must be properly tended and cultivated. To become truly productive, the olive tree must be grafted, a process by which good olive branch is made to grow upon a wild olive tree. It is done this way so that the well-developed root system of the wild olive tree can be used to support the good branches of of the, the garden variety olive tree, And then it will take far less time before the tree will become fruitful again. It basically speeds up the process by a factor of many years to take a well-established root system of a wild olive tree, graft in the, the natural olive branches into it, and therefore it will become extremely productive in a short amount of time. Now, while man uses this grafting method... In Paul's analogy, he says that God's spiritual grafting is done in just the opposite manner. For he says God's grafting process is to take the wild olive branch, the one that's not nearly as productive, and to then graft it into the good or the natural tree. And God takes that which is wild and then makes it productive using the well-developed roots of a good olive tree. But it begs the question, Why would God waste his time like that, to go what is contrary to nature? Why would he try to turn wild branches into good branches? Why would he take something that would take so long, when the natural way is to do something that's a shortcut, that produces fruit more quickly? Why would God do it this way? Well, when we look at this from a spiritual sense, which is what, of course, Paul is conveying, we must understand that when God looked upon man, After the fall in the Garden of Eden. All that remained were a bunch of wild olive trees. There simply were no good trees left to produce the spiritual fruit that God wanted upon the earth. And so God chose that rather than to start over. He would instead create his own good olive tree. And God began his plan by choosing one man as the seed of this tree. The root system, if you will. Now, this one man that he chose was not a perfect man. He was still a sinner, just like everyone else. But the thing that set him apart from the others was this one man was a man of faith. And this man would be justified by his faith in God, that simply this man believed God and took him at his word. And therefore, this one man was declared righteous by God, not because of his works but because of his faith. And this one man would receive the title the father of faith. And we, of course, know that man was Abraham. And so when God chose Abraham, he made a covenant with him that would make him and his descendants a special nation, a new tree, if you will. And not surprisingly, the olive tree has become a symbol of Israel as a nation. And so, God planted the seed of the first good spiritual olive tree, which was Abraham. Now, moving into Paul's analogy of the olive tree, we see that in the analogy, God is, of course, the gardener. He is the one who does the cutting off and grafting in of the branches. Abraham, as we just learned, the father of faith, is the tree's roots. Then the line of Abraham's spiritual descendants, all who follow in God's covenant promise, are the tree's trunk growing up from the roots. Then the natural branches growing out of that trunk are, of course, the children of Israel, also known as the Jews. And finally, the wild branches that are later grafted into the trunk, those are the Gentiles. That is all non-Jewish people on earth, which includes most of us today. Now, in this analogy of the olive tree, Paul is primarily focused upon the contentious relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles, and I'll explain why. You may recall from way back near the beginning of our series in Romans that the early church in Rome was made up of a mixture of roughly two-thirds Jewish believers and one-third Gentile believers, unsurprisingly there was tension between the two groups whereby the Jewish believers who of course are the natural branches they look down their noses at the Gentile believers who of course are the wild branches. It's because the Jews considered the Gentiles to be their poor cousin Johnny-come-latelys to the faith. Further still it was only natural for the Jews to have this holier-than-thou attitude over the Gentiles, because remember, for generations, they had been steeped in disdain and loathing for those uncircumcised pagans who they would refer to as dogs, and they would have as little to do with them as possible. For instance, if a Jew were to have no other choice but to buy something from a Gentile merchant, The purchased item was often then taken home and ceremonially washed to cleanse it of the pagan filth before they would use the product. In short, the Jews grew up learning to despise and hate the Gentiles. So this was a hard attitude to break. But way back in Romans chapter 2, we read that Paul had already addressed this and sharply rebuked the Jewish believers for having this attitude towards their Gentile brothers. And in fact, he told them bluntly that whether Jew or Gentile, God does not show favoritism. So for the Jews who thought, well, we're God's favorite children, no, he says he does not show favoritism. Now, it also appears that The Gentiles were not taking this attitude from the Jews just sitting down. And so they, of course, were were pushing back against this. And so they responded to the Jewish prejudice by pointing out, well, if you Jews were so smart, then why did you reject Jesus? How could you possibly claim that God loves you more than us when you crucified your own Messiah? In fact, God must be finished with Israel now. But as we learned in last week's sermon, Paul's emphatic reply to the Gentile believers was that God was not finished with Israel. For even though, yes, Israel had rejected Jesus, and yes, as a nation they would suffer the consequences, God had not rejected Israel. In fact, God's plan was to use Israel's unbelief as the mechanism to spread the good news of the gospel to the Gentile world around it. But then in the meantime, God would also preserve a remnant of faithful Jews like Paul himself and had further promised that one day the physical nation of Israel would not only be reborn, which has already happened back in 1948, but that one day all of Israel would be spiritually reborn by finally believing in Jesus as their Messiah, repenting of their unbelief, and so be saved. And that fulfillment is yet to come, but it is coming, my friends. And so here, speaking directly to the Gentile believers, Paul opens this section by stating, I am speaking to you Gentiles. And then in verses 17 to 20, Paul issues to the Gentiles two very stern warnings. And warning number one was, do not become spiritually arrogant. Verse 17 If some of the branches have been broken off, that is the Jews, and you, though a wild olive shoot, that is the Gentiles, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. Benjamin Franklin once described a visit he made as a young man to see the Puritan preacher named Cotton Mather. Franklin recalled, He was showing me out of the house, and there was a very low beam near the doorway. I was still talking when Mather began shouting from within the house, stoop, stoop. Well, I didn't quite understand what he meant, and so I did not stoop, and I banged my head hard on the beam. You're young, Mather had said to him, and have the world before you. Stoop as you go through it, and you will avoid many hard thumps along the way. That advice has been very useful to me. I avoided many misfortunes by not carrying my head too high in pride. Now, Benjamin Franklin's story, as well as what Paul just wrote, shows us the pitfalls of arrogance, and particularly spiritual arrogance. It is not limited to the young, for even those who have received God's grace can still harbor arrogance and pride in their hearts. Spiritual arrogance is the result of drawing false conclusions about one's standing before God and how he deals with our lives. It's when one thinks that they have somehow merited or deserved God's grace more than someone else. They can then hold themselves above another and so look down on them. For the Gentile believers in Rome, they had gotten this idea into their heads that because the Jews as a nation had been cut off, and because they had then been grafted in in their place, that this then made them superior. But Paul reminds them that they, in fact, had nothing to do with the process of being grafted in. It was not because of anything that they had done. In fact, it was nothing about being superior or inferior. It was all about faith. You see, Paul says the Jews were cut off because of unbelief, a lack of faith. Whereas the Gentiles were grafted in because of their faith and their belief in Jesus. It had absolutely nothing to do whatsoever with who was better or worse. Because remember, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This includes all Jews and all Gentiles. It has nothing to do whatsoever with one's worthiness. Instead, the Gentiles' new position of being grafted into God's tree was not because they were superior, but simply because and only because, like Abraham, they had faith. They believed. And that's it. And so Paul reminds them that they had zero reason, none, to boast or to be spiritually arrogant. He says to them, do not be arrogant, but instead tremble. What does he mean by tremble? Well, tremble at the fact that you have done nothing to come into this position. And that therefore, it is only by the grace of God that you remain in this position. And it's the same for us. If you ever feel as though you are somehow spiritually superior to someone else, or to some other church, or to some other group, then this warning applies to you and me as well. For if today you stand saved by God's grace through Christ, then remember that it was not because you have earned it, or even because you deserved it. It doesn't matter who your parents were, how many years you've gone to church, or how many good deeds you've done. You simply received God's free gift of salvation by faith alone. And it is by faith alone that we are justified, declared righteous before God and in his sight. As one young man once put it in his testimony, I did all the sinning and Jesus did all the saving. I love that. I did all the sinning and Jesus did all the saving. I contributed nothing to my salvation, my friend, neither did you. We are not grafted in because we are worthy or superior. It is by his grace and because of our faith. And therefore, Paul says, there is simply no room for spiritual arrogance or an attitude of superiority over others in the life of the believer. So if it's in your life, if there's spiritual pride and arrogance harboring there, rip it out, root it out, get rid of it. It has no place It does not belong. This is his first warning. His second warning to the Gentiles is this. Do not fall into unbelief, but persevere by faith. Do not fall into unbelief, but persevere by faith. Verse 20. Speaking of the Jews, Paul continues, They were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. Now, here it seems that the Gentile believers, after having been grafted in, were developing an attitude of some type of spiritual complacency. That now that they were grafted into the tree, there was nothing more that they needed to do. They were in and that was all that mattered. But Paul reminds them that if the Jews as a nation had been broken off because of unbelief, what made them as the Gentiles think that God would deal with them any differently if they also fell into unbelief? And so Paul states... Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Now, there are some who point to this passage as evidence that a believer can lose their salvation. And while at first glance it may appear that way, it's not quite so clear-cut. First, we must remember God's terms of salvation that we looked at a couple of sermons back. In Romans 10, verse 9, God's terms of salvation are that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now again, notice there's no ifs or maybes in that statement. You will be saved. It's as clear as it gets. But now this is where it gets a little bit more tricky. Because while someone can easily say with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, and we can audibly hear them say that, we cannot see or know what is truly in someone's heart. Only God can see the heart, and only he knows what it truly believes. So in regards to to, uh, regular people discerning whether or not someone is truly born again, someone is truly a, a believing follower of Jesus Christ, There was only one metric that we are given. And it is given to us by Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 16, where he said, By their fruit you shall know them. By their fruit, or their actions, you shall know them. Now, of course, there are many good fruits, many actions that Jesus was referring to. But among those good fruits, or or the examples of them, is the fruit of perseverance. Perseverance. And this is why Paul says, provided you continue or persevere in God's kindness. You see, true saving faith in Jesus Christ is not a one and done deal. It's not like a sparkler candle that we put on a birthday cake that sparkles and shines brightly for a short time but then soon splutters to a stop and goes out. That is not what saving faith looks like. No, the evidence of genuine saving faith in Christ is that it will persevere and continue on in God's kindness, mercy, and grace through a lifetime of following him. Whereas in contrast, those with only a a sparkler kind of faith, those with only lip service faith, no matter how convincing they may sound to us and how brightly they may sparkle, if it's only lip service faith and it's not true believing faith in the heart, it will eventually turn away from Christ and back to indulging their sinful flesh and back to the world. Recently, for our family bedtimes, I've been reading to our kids the children's version of the Pilgrim's Progress, and it's entitled, Little Pilgrim's Big Journey, and I'll plug it right here. If you have young kids, you need to get it. Little Pilgrim's Big Journey. Now, along Christian's journey, he meets another pilgrim named Hopeful, and so they begin traveling together. Then, in chapter 8, we read, the two little pilgrims traveled a little while. And finally, along the road, they were met by four children from the town of Lovegain. These four said, Let us come along with you on your journey. Please come along, Hopeful said. But it's not an easy path, Christian told them. What could be so difficult about it? One boy asked. Christian said, You must follow the king in sunshine and rain, in riches and poverty, in good times and hard times. You're sadly mistaken, said the boys from Love Gain. Surely the king would give us all his blessings to pilgrims who walk on his path. We travel only in fair weather. If you wish to suffer needlessly, then we will not join you. And so sadly, the two pilgrims had to leave the other four boys from Love Gain behind. And soon after, Christian and Hopeful learned, that the four boys from Love Gain had been tempted to leave the king's path by a man named Demas. And they had entered his silver mine, where he had promised them riches untold. But alas, it was a trap. And when the boys stepped in, they slipped and crashed to the bottom of the mine, and were never seen or heard from again. You see, sadly, there are many Christians today who do not understand the important truth of perseverance in the Christian faith. Perseverance means persevering, going on, no matter what. And often, parents will say things about their adult children like this. Yes, sadly, he's living in immorality, and now he makes no profession of faith whatsoever. But I remember back when he was a child, he once invited Jesus to be his Savior and Lord. So once saved, always saved, right? Well, to that I would add one crucial word. Once truly saved, always saved. Once truly saved, always saved. Because yes, of course, true believers may still fall into sin. We're not immune to stumbling off the path every once in a while. Just as King David and Peter both did. But the true believer can't be happy or content to remain in sin because the Holy Spirit's conviction will simply not leave them alone until repentance comes and they are restored to following the Lord's path. As Romans chapter 7 showed us, the most miserable person in the world is a Christian living in sin. So when someone claims with their mouth Jesus is Lord, But then in their actions, the fruit we see is that they are content and happy to just right on, keep on living in sin. Well, friend, that is not a good sign. That is not a good sign. For not all who make profession of faith in Christ are truly saved. As Jesus himself warned us in Matthew 7. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see, many people make a claim of believing in Christ, and even for a time, look as though they truly believe. But the litmus test of genuine, saving faith is one that perseveres. Whether through facing trials and tests, struggling with temptation or sin, in good times and in hard times, it is a faith that simply does not quit, no matter what. And the good news is, the great news is, that God's presence and power is readily available to enable all who have simply and sincerely put their faith in Christ alone to save them, to persevere, and to keep going. And to not quit until the very end. For as Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27 to 28, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And this means that we, the sheep, can trust that our good shepherd will guide us and enable us to keep following him until we are safely in his eternal fold. But now what about those, what about those who once made some sort of profession of faith? Perhaps, as I said earlier, as a young child, but now they have fallen away. There is no evidence of the Lord or profession of faith in their life. What about them? Is there any hope for them? And to that the answer is yes, yes, absolutely there is hope. For continuing on in Romans chapter 11, verse 23, even of unbelieving Israel, Paul writes, and if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Now take note that here, everyone is persisting in something. Everyone is persisting in something. Either they are persisting in unbelief, just as the Jews were, or they are persisting in faith. These two positions sum up every last man, woman, and child on earth. Either you are persisting in unbelief or you are persisting in faith. And sadly, just like Israel, so many today are persisting in a state of unbelief. But our wonderful and gracious God declares... That the very moment someone stops resisting, someone stops persisting in unbelief and instead in simple faith believes, then God says he will graciously graft them into his olive tree. And he says even as with Israel, he is able to do it once more to restore them to the rightful position. He can do the same for anyone today. Anyone who perhaps once made a profession of faith, but it was not in their heart, he can graft them in, truly, through faith once more. And so this is where our faith must truly persist in prayer on behalf of those who are persisting in unbelief towards Christ. The true story is told that one day George Mueller began praying for the salvation of five of his unbelieving friends. After many months, one of them came to the Lord. Ten years later, two others of his friends came to faith in Christ as well. It then took another 25 years before the fourth man was saved. And Mueller persevered in prayer for his fifth friend until his death. And alas, his friend was not saved. And yet, it was shortly after his funeral that the friend finally relented and said, if my friend George could pray for me for that many years, it must be real. And he gave up persisting in unbelief, and he surrendered in simple faith, giving his life to Christ. George's faith and his persistence was rewarded because he did not quit and persisted in faith and prayer. And so too, my friends, never underestimate the power of persistent faith and prayer For those around you who are persisting in unbelief. And so, finally, whether you today are more of a natural branch, like the Jews, where perhaps you were raised by Christian parents going to church, or whether you are more of a wild branch where you were raised by unbelieving or even atheist parents who are hostile towards God, my friend, it makes no difference. For God loves you just the same, He plays no favorites. And he will delight in grafting you into his family tree for today and forever. For our good and for his glory. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy shown towards us. Thank you, Lord, that there is nothing we can do to earn, to merit our position, to be grafted into your tree. But like Abraham, the father of faith, it is the same for us as it was for him we simply take you at your word and believe. And further, like Abraham, we must persist in that belief, persist in faith. That you promised him a son, and he had to persist in faith for many, many years till he was a very old man. And yet, Lord, you kept your word, and his faith was rewarded. And so, Father, I pray for us that you would give us a persevering faith. And further, Lord, I pray that we would learn from the warning that Paul gave to the Gentile church, that we would not be arrogant of our position, that we would not look down in condescension or pride towards anyone else, but humbly recognize there is nothing we've done to be in this position. it is by your grace alone. So help us to live humbly and to walk humbly, Lord, before you and before man. And Father, I pray as well that you would guard our hearts against unbelief, And further, Lord, I pray for those who have only had a lip service faith that was not truly in their heart, where they have said the words of faith, but now in their actions and their lives, they have turned away from you and your way. Thank you, Lord, that you are able to bring them back and that it is even through the persisting faith and prayer of those who know you who can be the catalyst, the power that will help bring them back to faith in yourself. And so, Lord, I pray, give us a persistent faith to pray for those who are persisting in unbelief, even today, that others could come to know you and so be saved. And so, Father, bless each one today. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his smiling face towards you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen may god bless you richly and a reminder that again next sunday june the 13th will be a special baptism service and that will begin at 10 o'clock a.m and i look forward to that and until then may the lord uh, continue to walk with you in the week ahead and have a very good week take care